invite you to open your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, the book of Beginnings, and in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, where we'll read here in just a couple of moments. Glad to have you here tonight. We have visitors with us and those that are new to the community, those that are relatively new to this congregation, and we're glad for your presence. We have been engaging in a series of studies on Sunday evenings throughout 2022, and you have been so very kind as we have talked about angels and understanding them better to say that you've appreciated those sermons, that they've been helpful to you, or maybe we've covered some ground that you've never thought of before. And certainly, uh, we'll cover some ground tonight that is a little bit different, but is also hopefully one that will be helpful to you as well. I always um, love those texts on uh, Friday or Saturday uh, that come in. Hey, what's your sermon topic? And sometimes I want to say, good luck. (laughs) Because uh, I'm going to offer a $5 bonus to someone that can write a three-verse with chorus in a three-, four-time waltz-like song on Guardian Angels. And if you do that, I'll give you the $5. (laughs) The fact is, is there's not much said about guardian angels. In fact, there's nothing said about guardian angels. So some could say, well, that's going to be a short sermon. I'm looking forward to this one. However, the concept of guardian angels is a very religious topic. And many of your religious friends and many of my religious friends will make reference to a guardian angel in his or her life. I want to say at the outset of the study tonight that I don't believe that you should necessarily lead with this in a personal Bible study with someone who comes from a denominational background or who believes in guardian angels. There are certain topics that have to be addressed at some point when we study with those who are uh, not students of the Bible or those who have not done what the Lord has asked them to do and we're trying to teach them to come to the truth. And there are certain ways of maybe saying, well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit later. It may not be the best thing that when someone comes to you and says, well, I believe in guardian angels, can we study the Bible? You may have to study some other things before you get to that in order to establish the, the basic principles of biblical authority and understanding the authority of scriptures that we abide by. That being said, we do have to deal with this subject because of so much of what is taught on that subject in the world in which we live and which has been the case now for uh, dozens of centuries going back into the past. So what I want us to do tonight is to ask the first question, and that is what is meant by the term guardian angel. We are secondly going to look at the concept as illustrated there in Hebrews chapter 1, where our scripture reading was from, that angels do serve as assisting messengers or assisting agents. We're going to look at some key passages and make some vital observations about the things that we learn. That's going to be the scope of our study together this evening. So again, we're very glad that you're here. And I appreciate the songs that have, uh, we have been able to sing together because uh, we are happy people. Uh, it's okay to smile when you sing, I'm happy today. And that's because of Jesus, that lily of the valley that we serve, which causes us each day to do golden deeds and then asks that question that we'll ask in just a few moments, are you washed in the blood? When we think about the, ta- the concept of guardian angel, it might mean different things to different people, but in just doing some very basic research, and these days, 
And this is, this is something that those of you younger people don't appreciate, is that research back in the olden days involved going to a library. Now, a library is a building or a place where they put dead trees bound together, and there are volumes of information that you can research from. And they would have these card catalogs where you would pull these long drawers out, and you'd pull out the card catalog, and you'd have to go find that book and then read it. These days, you just go on your phone and you figure out the information. So things have developed. So you don't have to do a lot of research these days to find out what is meant by the term guardian angel. But generally speaking, it seems to be agreed to in denominational circles and in religious circles that it's the assignment, I put that in quotation marks, of a particular or specific angel to every individual or to each individual Christian or saint. So you have a guardian angel, I've got a guardian angel, she's got a guardian angel, everyone's got an angel assigned to me to protect me. I remember a bumper sticker a number of years ago that I saw that said, do not drive faster than your guardian angel could fly. And I thought about that, I understand where they're going with that, but how, how, how fast are you driving is my question uh, to limit the power of God and whatever angels he's ever created. One's guardian angel seems to work particularly to provide and to protect and to guard and to guide an individual saint. And here's a key at the outset of our study that should already make us bristle, and that is a guardian angel's work can be separate from the scriptures. Now, that's not necessarily my opinion, and it may not be a universal belief of individuals who believe in guardian angels, but a a large majority, uh, or at least a large uh, group of individuals who believe in guardian angels believe similar to the way the Holy Spirit might move me, one could say, that the Holy Spirit has moved me to teach this particular message. Now, it's different than what the scriptures teach, but the Holy Spirit moved me. Well, we already say that doesn't sound right, and that's not correct. And we know from passages like Galatians chapter 1 that even if an angel comes and teaches a message, or even you could paraphrase Galatians 1 a little bit, even if someone comes to you and says a guardian angel, whatever that may be, said something different from the scriptures, already we have an issue with Galatians chapter 1. So that we can kind of rule out at the outset of our study together tonight. It is true that guardian angels is a common belief set uh, in many religious people and even people who are somewhat religious. People who are non-churchgoers are oftentimes people that believe in angels. And in fact, if you do a poll of a thousand Americans or a thousand global citizens and ask them about their beliefs in heaven, their beliefs in hell, their beliefs in God, their beliefs in angels, you're going to find that angels are going to supersede the belief of almost all those other things together. Because we like to believe in the idea that there's something created that guards us and and guides us and protects us individually. This doctrine of guardian angels and the overall concept of what is famously referred to as angelology is present in Catholicism. It is present in most, if not many, uh, 
Protestant denominations. This is something that I had never heard of before until I sat down and kind of researched it. It is also found in Judaism, and it is also found not on the slide uh, in the religions of Islam and Hinduism. And so various religions, including major religions around the world, believe in the idea of angels and believe in the concept of guardian angels. Now, do angels guard? Let's ask that question. And if you've been here for the previous six or seven lessons over the last seven or eight months, yes, angels have guarded in the past. And so one of the roles or missions of angels is to assist, to provide protection, to provide uh, some sort of, uh, of help in time of need. Indeed, the Bible does teach that angels are instrumental in helping or assisting or guarding human beings in the past. Now, whether they do that in the present is, number one, not the subject of this study. Number two, something that we probably can't answer specifically. And number three, in, in, in some ways, a sub point of the sermon that Lord willing will have a little bit later in 2022 when we round out our study of angels. I want to look at just three or four passages here very quickly to illustrate this. And the first of those is a passage that we've looked at already at least three times in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's been a while since we've read that text. I just want to read it very briefly. And then I want to look at three other passages here, uh, three in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. But here in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed down with his face toward the ground. He says, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet. You may rise early and go your way. They said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, and we know why, based on verses 3 and 4 in the broader context of Genesis uh, 18 and 19. He says, Before they laid down the men of the city, verse 4, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called out Lot and they said, where are the men who came to you tonight? And we pointed this out that angels oftentimes, in fact, almost always appeared as average men such that there was nothing about them that distinguished that they were angels to the people that witnessed them. Then in verse uh, six, Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door and he says, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. And then said, I have two daughters who have not known a man. And we talked about this difficult passage when we studied Genesis a year or so ago. Please let me bring them out to you. You may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they've come under the shadow. And they said, stand back. This one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, and if you want to underline in your Bibles, the word men there in verse 10, and then circle back to chapter 19, verse 1, where we're talking about the angels to make sure we're talking about the same individuals, reached out their hands, pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So we here see that Lot was rescued or guarded or protected by angels. 
So we're not disputing the notion that angels on occasion do guard, do protect, do provide some sort of guidance and assistance. The same is true in three briefer passages. One is in Psalm 34, verse 7. And we briefly made reference to this psalm in our recent study of 2 Samuel. But in chapter 37, or in the 30, I'm sorry, 34, in Psalm 34 and verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. So here we see a situation where you have a uh, insert where it talks about David here fearing the Philistines, uh, fearing Abimelech. Uh, and it says here that David was afraid of the Philistines and was given protection or guarding attributes from the angels. We won't take the time to read Daniel chapter 3, but this is a topic that we have talked about a little bit over the course of our study of angels. We've looked at Daniel chapter 3, but in verses 21 through 28, we know that the king was furious over the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for their refusal to bow down before the king, before the decree, before his authority. And what happens? They are protected by an angel. Now, the identity of that angel is in some ways going back to the previous sermon about a month and a half ago when we talked about who specifically the angel of the Lord may be. And then the fourth passage that I thought I would just bring up here very quickly is the one from our scripture reading in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, that says, part of the work of angels is to assist believers. So the question is not then whether angels assist. The question is tied directly to the idea of a doctrine of guardian angels, whether each of us have an angel permanently assigned to us to assist and help. Well, that brings us then to where I want to spend the rest of our time or most of the rest of our time, and that is looking at what I would call five key passages or five passages that are routinely used by those who would say, I do believe in a guardian angel. I believe that God has granted me a guardian angel. And one of those is, of course, Psalm 34, verse 7. Now, it seems to me that if someone believes that in the protection of David that you have a guardian angel, you have to go back and look at the previous sermon that, granted, goes back six to seven weeks ago when we talked about the identity of the angel of the Lord. And if it is truly uh, some form of the, uh, the Christ in a pre-human form, then it certainly doesn't fit into the notion of it being his particular angel because that angel, the particular one that seems to be referenced here in Psalm 34 and verse 7, is, it seems to me, the same messenger or agent or angel that has appeared at various other times throughout the course of the Old Testament story. I mean, it really kind of gets kind of silly because now you have a situation where David's angel says, by the way, I'm also an angel for someone else. David says, well, I thought it was my angel. And God says, no, I never told you that I was going to have an angel specifically for you. Secondly is Psalm 91, verse 11. If you want to take the time this week to read these psalms in their broader context, I encourage you to do so. But in Psalm 91, verse 11, 
This is a text that Satan knew very well, as you recall. He knew this text backwards and forwards and used it to his advantage or in trying to use it to his advantage in Matthew chapter 4 or in Luke's account of the temptation of Jesus, one of those temptations of Jesus. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, indeed, this seems to be a reference to uh, possibly the protection of Moses. Uh, It is referenced by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. But again, it doesn't fit into the, let me rephrase it this way. It fits into the broader context of the role that angels played and maybe play. That's sermon number eight coming up down the road. But rather, it has nothing to do with the concept of a particular angel that is assigned to an individual for his or her service and protection. Number three is a New Testament passage, and we'll spend the rest of our time looking at New Testament passages almost exclusively. And that is Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. And some of you have already thought of this passage. You said, wait a minute, we've got to deal with Matthew chapter 18. And I don't have every answer for Matthew chapter 18, though I don't think it's talking about a guardian angel where Jesus says, if your eye causes you, this is verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the fire of hell. And so he's saying here that there are uh, serious things to consider in service to the Lord. And he goes on, he says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. I thought it was interesting. And again, this is not an exposition or a detailed look at Matthew chapter 18. We can do that at a later time if you'd like. But I do find it interesting the Uh, the phrase that is used here is he says, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Two times the phrase in heaven is used in that text. It doesn't mean that angels can't come to earth and provide some sort of assistance, but it seems to me that the broader context of Matthew chapter 18 is in the context of believers who have angels that are aware of their difficulties and aware of their activities. Again, more on that in about a month when we get into the eighth and the final sermon. By the way, the whole context of that final sermon, which is one of my favorites, but I believe one of the most difficult is, what about angels today? And you could say, well, that's going to be a short sermon as well, because there's so many things that we do not know, except I think there are things that we may be able to know based on some passages that we've looked at over the course of 2022. Let me look at two other passages here. Passage number four is Acts chapter 12 and verse 15. In order to appreciate this, you've got to appreciate the broader context of what's transpiring. Acts chapter 12 and verse 15. You're familiar with what happens here uh, with the apostle Peter. It's one of those uh, almost humorous occasions in biblical history uh, where you have Rhoda saying, we're busy praying for you, Peter. We'll be back to you later. But in Acts chapter 12 and verse 15, it says, you are beside yourself. She kept insisting that it was so. They said it is his angel. 
Go back to verses 11 through 14. It says, when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Incidentally, Luke does not insert in there in parentheses, by the way, Peter was wrong in his uh, appraisal of the situation, which leads me to believe that God indeed, and if you go back and read in the previous verses, uh, verse 7 says an angel is the one who delivered Peter. So it was when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And therein they said, if you said, you are beside yourself, you've, you've lost it. We've been praying for Peter so hard, and maybe you are envisioning it happening. And she's like, no, it really is him there. We need to go let him in. And I always wonder what Peter's thinking during all these conversations as he's standing outside of the gate saying, they're busy praying for him. Why don't they just let me in? But I think about that, and I think about the broader context here, is not so much an angel that is assigned to Peter. That's not taught here anywhere but rather that God chose to use an angel uh, as he chooses sometimes men to be rescuers of his people. And that brings us to the fifth and the final key passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, which we read at the outset. While we're opening there, let me go back to Deuteronomy 29, a passage that I've referenced almost every occasion that we've come together, and that is, There are secret things that belong to the Lord himself that I can't give the answers to. I I appreciated uh, the simplicity with which our brother Phil, one of our shepherds, presented 1 Corinthians 11 today and said, I may not know the answer to that. That gives me good cover. (laughs) I can say the same thing because there are certain things that I don't know as well. But are there some things that we can appreciate from Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 14? where the writer says the following. He says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, the argument that is going on here is that Jesus, who is eternal, is superior to angels who are created. Now, for those that believe and teach that guardian angels are a doctrine to be believed, these five passages are key. And so if you ever do develop that study with someone on the subject of guardian angels, and they say, well, I really believe in them, and you look at and you say, well, can you show me passages as to why you believe that you have an angel assigned to you? And, and, and more, perhaps more importantly, why it is that he or it has the authority to tell you things different from scriptures, they're probably going to take you to one of these five passages. But let me share with you what I would call not just vital passages, but vital observations that I'd like to conclude with. Vital observation number one is to note the fact that multiple angels are referenced in these go-to passages. For example, in Psalm 91, it uses the, the term angels. In Matthew 18, it talks about their angels. 
So never does it talk, it seems to me, about a specific particular angel, but rather a host of angels that are in the business, and I'm not using that term flippantly, but are in God's business of delivering protection and providing assistance. Let me suggest to you, secondly, in our vital observations, that an assigned angel goes beyond the teaching of Scripture. Most people will go to Psalm 34, verse 7, which I think is an interesting passage because it seems to be talking about the angel of the Lord, although it may be talking about an angel of the Lord. But the focus of this passage, it seems to me, the real thrust of what uh, the psalmist was trying to get us to appreciate here is not about the angel, but it is about God. Remember God, and, and this is what becomes frustrating when, you're, when you deal with someone who really is dogmatic about guarding angels in that all of a sudden angels become the real focus and we lose the focus where it needs to be and where it deserves to be. And so the focus needs to be on trusting God and not just relying on his angels. Let me suggest to you this. Assigned angels isn't a new concept. In fact, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 15, uh, where it talks about it is his angel, there are some suggestions that historically, going back even 2,000 years ago, that this statement may have been made by Rhoda's friends or Mary's friends in their household in light of closely held Jewish beliefs. Put it another way, that long before the study of angels became big over the course of the last 2,000 years with the fulfillment of all scriptures and written in print form, already Jewish people, B.C., were already believing in angels, no problem there, but were already believing in the idea of assigned guardian angels. That is a big deal there. So we've got to appreciate that this may go back even before the time of Jesus the Christ. Let me suggest to you this, and that is so-called guardian angels are not described by way of their tasks. We see that in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. And I think that's important to appreciate that we, we understand that angels have tasks. We talked about that in sermons 1 and 2 way back in January and February. But so-called guardian angels are never described by way of their tasks. Never is there a time that says, well, here is John's angel, and here is Thaddeus's angel. And there are so many places throughout the course of Scripture where that could have been inserted and cleared up the confusion, and it never was inserted. And let me share with you number five and the one that really kind of strikes me the most, and that is angels are sent to help saints but are not necessarily always present. And I underline those three words purposely. God saw that Lot needed teaching and assistance and help. God saw that various characters in the Old Testament needed his help, David and others. God saw in the New Testament people needing assistance, and he sent angels. Angels are sent to help saints. Well, why would an angel need to be sent by God if the angel is always by your side in the first place is the question that I'm asking. Because if the angel is assigned to me, I don't want God to have to send him. I want him here by my side at all times 24-7. 
but God sends the angels when they are in need of delivering the assistance that they are designed to deliver. Certainly that's the case with Hebrews chapter 1, and it's certainly the case with Matthew chapter 4. Remember Matthew chapter 4, where it says, well, let me, let me just, let's just read Matthew chapter 4, and I want you to underline one word in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the account of Satan tempting Jesus. It's, it's certainly not the only time that Satan would have come after Jesus, but it is the one that is recorded for us to really appreciate and to learn from. And in verse 10, Jesus for the third time says, Get away from me, Satan. I'm not going to fall into your trap. I'm going to do the will of my Father. And then it says, The devil left him, and behold, what does it say? Angels came and ministered to him. Where were the angels before? My question is, and my summation is, and my understanding would be, is that when someone says the angels came, they had to have come from some place. God sent them. And so the idea here is that God sends angels to assist those who are saints in need of assistance, but they are not necessarily always present. You may say, well, why does all this matter? Well, for two reasons. One, what I highlighted about five minutes ago. And that is what happens too often, and I suggested 20 minutes ago, is that people will now put angels on these proverbial pedestals ahead of God and say, well, I believe in angels, and I believe that angels assist, but I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven, and I certainly don't believe in hell. I don't believe in a judgment. I don't believe in all those ugly things that I don't want to talk about. And I don't want to talk about, uh, uh, and going back to David's sermon this morning, which is very good, let's talk about grace but let's not talk about truth. And so you, you get into a lot of that with people who believe this. And the other thing is going back to the very first or second slide, and that is those that teach guardian angel uh, as a doctrine will typically, if not always, suggest that that angel has the power to deliver messages of comfort or messages of instruction that are different and even contrary to what the New Testament has taught them to do. And we know from Galatians 1 and other passages that that is a significant problem indeed. Well, let me close with this slide. And that is, again, why does all this matter, what it is that we learn? Let me suggest to you that there are three things that we learn from this. One is this. As with all subjects related to angels, there are certain things we don't know. And we want to be careful to not fill in the blanks as we want them to appear. And it would be very easy for someone to say, well, guardian angels make sense to me because of what my friend taught me or what my co-worker said to me. Therefore, I'm going to insert it into my belief set or my belief box. Well, we got to be careful inserting beliefs into our belief box. Uh, make sure that they fit into this box. And when it doesn't, it's convenient sometimes for us to formulate our own ideas or our own concepts. Secondly, angels may be very well in the business of assisting saints today. More on that in the next sermon. And that's not something that, just to give you advance warning, uh, that we don't know about particularly. And I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic about it. I have some feelings on it. But perhaps this is part of God's providence. You know, years ago, there was real uh, heartache over the concept of providence. 
and whether or not it was a real thing. And I think, generally speaking, we as members of the Lord's Church, I think we as Christians, I think we as saints, uh, all the different names by which we're known, we've gotten to a place where we believe that God provides for us because that's what providence seems to be. And let me suggest to you three, prayer is just as effective today as in the time of the early Christians. You may say, well, that point doesn't belong in this sermon, except it does for this very important reason. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be uh, disrespectful or rude to someone who may believe in guardian angels, but I do want you to appreciate this. Note, if you would, all the examples in the Bible where men were in need of help and they called on their guardian angels for assistance. If we were to sit here and make a list of those, it'd be a short list, right? We never see that happening. In fact, we don't ever see uh, that I can recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's ever an occasion where someone says, please send an angel. Now, we know that uh, Jesus could have called for the legions of angels to come, but who would he have asked for that? He would have asked the Father, right? And the same is true for us. So if guardian angels existed in biblical times, and those that believe that guardian angels exist today would believe that they existed in biblical times based on the precedence of the five key passages that we used, Old and New Testaments, why didn't those individuals call for their guardian angels? They just called on the Lord. And when I say just call on the Lord, I don't mean just. I mean, that's just the only thing that they needed to do because that was the right thing for them to do. These things are not necessarily easy, especially as we begin and as we conclude, we deal with individuals who may have some different points of view. And I certainly do not have all the answers to these questions, but we're trying to understand angels better and get a better grasp on them. Lord willing, next month or the month after, depending on the way the calendar works, we will delve into angels today. What's their role today? Are they active today? Do they do things today? What do the scriptures seem to suggest on that subject? And I hope that you can be here for that. You are a very kind group of individuals in that you have been very uh, supportive of David and me in preaching sometimes things that are a little bit challenging or a little bit difficult, and we are very thankful for that. But more than that, we are appreciative of your faith and of the communal faith that we have in Jesus the Christ and the fact that you have chosen to serve him. In fact, the vast majority of people who are present here tonight are baptized believers. And, and so if everyone stood up who was baptized, it would be the vast majority of the congregation standing. But there are some who have not been baptized. There are some who have said, you know what, I, I have yet to make that choice. Maybe I don't want to make that choice for whatever reason. Uh, or maybe I don't feel like I'm ready. Maybe I don't feel like I'm worthy, whatever the case may be. We would like to sit down and to study with you. Or maybe you're at a place tonight where you've thought long and hard about becoming a Christian. You said, yep, it's time for me to do that. And I'm ready to be baptized to have my sins washed away. Indeed, are you washed in the blood, as we'll ask in just a, a couple of seconds. If you're here and you're not a Christian, become one tonight. If you are a child of God and you need assistance, you don't get it from the guardian angel. 
that doesn't exist according to Scripture. You get it from our Lord, and he will help you in whatever way that he deems appropriate. And one of the ways that he can help you is with the assistance of your fellow saints who will be there to help you, to guide you, and to guard you as well. If we can help you in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.